NFL playoffs have arrived, and we have you covered each day on OutKicks Hot Mike with Hudson Withrow. Some of the best football guests break down the biggest matchups from Armando Salguero and Donovan McNabb to Ryan Leaf and Bobby Carpenter, plus the top headlines and reaction to each playoff weekend. So, Chad, which quarterback ascends to that next level? The Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, Tua is on this list. Got to be Lamar Jackson, right? Yeah, it's I think, his time right I now. think so. Yeah, it's, it's his time to shine. He's done it in the regular season. He's won MVP. He's going to win it again. It is time for him to win in the playoffs. Playoffs are also a time to shine for Patrick Mahomes. Can he and the Chiefs' offense figure it out in order to repeat this playoff season? There's plenty of craziness on a week-to-week basis, so pull up the bar with us each weekday wherever you listen to your podcast. NFL and more covering your favorite teams. Outkicks Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. So I think I've been making some significant progress in terms of my mental health management, especially over the course of this podcast that's been since 2017. My whole thing has been dealing with this crash state that I experience, which is like highs and lows, ups and downs of my own um, mental pathology. That's been my word lately, pathology. I really like that word, so I keep using it, and probably I'm using it wrong, but that's fine. I just, uh, I've, I've been really clicking lately. I've been going through the Personality Life Path program with Personality Hacker, and it's been really fantastic. Uh, this is the first time I've gone through the whole thing as a student. Like, I work with them, but uh, I, I don't always go through their programs as a student. I usually help them develop it or will be a part of the creative or, you know, some sort of contribution in that way. But this time I like, I just had an instinct that I needed it for myself. So I went through it. And what we end up doing is going through eight weeks of going through each cognitive function and mentoring with Joel and Antonia to workshop our, not just our understanding of the function that's actually pretty glossed over. Like we, 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 there's a pretty thorough, uh, explanation of what the function is and how it it persists in relationships and business and what it looks like one-sided and all of that stuff. It's like pretty comprehensive to go through the, uh, the, the pre-recorded videos. And then when we we meet on calls, we talk a little bit about our, our relationship to the function, how it shows up in our life and workshop a, uh, self coaching idea to like take with us for the week to work on to see if we can activate this function in our lives and get a sense of, of how it's missing perhaps, or if we're doing it too much, anything like that. And so through the course of this, it's been incredibly useful for me to awaken parts of myself and take intentional time to think about these various areas that perhaps I, like I said, overdo or underdo or whatever. So I knew that there was a part of me that was going to be wrestling with throughout this whole thing, my mental illness and mental health relationship and all of this stuff. And, uh, I, I'm becoming clear on some things that I've been needing for myself. Like recently over the past week or so, I've been feeling this, what's called a fearful avoidant crash. And I've realized through the course of doing personality life path that I have a relationship to the fearful avoidant attachment style, which I think is ultimately what I've been dealing with this whole time. Now attachment styles are becoming increasingly popular, but I think it's increasingly helpful to figure out what, um, 
what helps with our connections to potential community, our relationship to our parents, and our relationships to our partners. Like, why have we been having a hard time with connecting, if we're having a hard time connecting, and stuff like that. And connecting with people is an important component of our lives. I mean, we get to know our shadow selves through connecting with other people. So if we have a hard time with connection and we're acting out these pathologies of, of our wounds, then we are, you know, continuously struggling with, with getting on our life path in a sense that for me as a fearful avoidant, it's sort of a combination of anxious and avoidant. So sometimes there's hesitation to go towards relationships and connection. Sometimes it's going towards then instantly pulling away. And uh, a little bit of both is a bit of a struggle. It's also a head heart relationship. It's this idea that like, uh, or, or like more of a left brain, holistic brain relationship to, to what we need. Meaning like for me, I think I have a little bit of an easier time at requesting emotional needs, ironically enough. And I have a harder time requesting practical needs. Like I need more support with finances or I need more help with the house or dishes or something like that. Or I need more help from people in my work, you know, to outsource things to people. And so that helped me realize a couple of those things that through doing extroverted thinking week, which is the cognitive function that we use to, it's like linear thinking, getting things done. I think a lot of us millennials have an overuse of our executive functioning. There's a massive diagnosis of ADHD. We're sometimes referred to as the ADHD generation, quote unquote. And for that reason, I think we're overusing our executive functioning and largely because we grew up with the No Child Left Behind Act. We had a lot more testing in schools and there was uh, a rampant push to try to get kids through education. And as a result, I think there is this rampant desire to be busy all the time, even if it's not, <clears throat> even if it's not uh, constructive busyness. I take a drink of water real quick. <clears throat> so with this constant busyness, I've noticed that in myself, that there's this desire to keep myself busy. And sometimes even recording this podcast feels like an attempt to just keep myself busy, though it feels like something I, I need for myself at times. So I just do it. But, but there is this relationship to the extroverted thinking busyness of doing things ourselves, frankly, that asking for help in a outsourcing kind of way or letting someone else do something while we relax has become something that is a, a bit of a wounding for a lot of our generation and uh, myself included. And uh, I, I think this, this is a little bit more tied to generational programming, uh, and needing to be willing to step into our own authority of requesting help or being able to step into some sort of a leadership role. And I know for me, that's really what is being demanded of me in my life right now is stepping into a leadership role of defining processes and then letting someone else take the wheel of those processes. Cause I don't like to, 
I don't like to do the thing. <laughs> like I'd rather, I, I get a lot of life as an INTP from creating processes, streamlining and automations and stuff like that. But I don't want to have to like do the same thing every day. I don't want to execute the tasks. So extroverted thinking is both either executing the, the tasks and, and getting a mental hit from it, from those who are TJs in the Myers-Briggs system tend to prefer like they, they get a, they can get a hit from completing the tasks themselves, but also by proxy, other people completing the tasks is also relative to the self. Like it just gets done regardless of who does it. So if it's getting done, you know, having someone else do the thing uh, opens up room for me to define more tasks or to take a reward or take a break and all of that stuff. And that's the other side of it is allowing myself to, to get rewards and to not just push, 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 push because I need to, or because like, that's what I'm supposed to do. But like, I'm a human being, like I respond to reward systems. I have incentives that continue to motivate me. So I need to allow for those rewards to take place as well. So bringing this back to the fearful avoidance side of things, I was exploring my internal narratives because during introverted feeling week, the cognitive function of introverted feeling is one that covers our internal values and motivations and the stories and narratives that we tell ourselves. And for me, I realized one of my big narratives is that I'm a bad person that I am inherently born bad, that there's something about me that like, because I'm not doing certain things or achieving in a certain way, or because my life doesn't look like the way that maybe my parents forecasted for me or, um, or I didn't fall into a religion that I was basically atheist for a long time and then landed in Buddhism and then uh, kind of all over the place with that, that, uh, uh, there's a certain, and because of my like sex addiction and desire to have desires, you know, like that I'm a bad person for that. And so there's this, there's this narrative that everything I touch turns to shit. Um, and I, I just watched the series beef, which is an amazing show. Uh, probably one of my favorites because it touches on this pathology, this belief that everything you touch turns to shit. And as a result, if you're perpetuating that belief, then it, that that's what happens. That's true. It becomes true. And many of us do that. I find that like we have these fixations on either our narratives or our belief as to like how the world works or people are out to get us or continual fears that we believe are true. And so we're unconsciously working very hard to manifest them just so that we can say we were right which is creating our own suffering over and over again by saying like, this is going to happen. And then unconsciously, because you're so fixated on it, you make it happen. And I think that show really touches on that in a beautiful way. And I, it, it took a lot of turns towards the end of the series. And I, I, I just, as a person born in the mid eighties, it touches on characters born in the mid eighties and particularly immigrant kids in the mid eighties. Now my parents were from Puerto Rico, but it was still an immigrant mentality that I grew up with. So there's a lot that I related to personally. And I think the, the sort of, it touches a little bit on like fearful avoidant and sex addiction, 
There was even one line towards the end where they were talking about literally mentioning generations. They were saying like our generation feels like kind of fucked in the sense that we, uh, we grew up during a time period when it was the wild, wild west of the internet and you just had access to anything you could, you just came across and found, you know, like I saw some messed up stuff that I should not have had access to, <laughs> but, uh, but it was there. And, uh, you know, some things that were taboo, uh, sexually are now normal and, uh, for better or worse. And, and it was during the time when we were coming of age that this stuff was available, like 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. And the show seems to like have some addressing of that. I'm not addressing of that, but at least an expression of that, you know, it feels honest. It feels authentic. And I, I relate to that authenticity. So I suspect that something like attachment styles or narratives around being a bad person, because that came up in the show too. Uh, I have beliefs that I'm going to be portrayed, betrayed by people um, that I get close to. And it essentially led me down this rabbit hole towards the fearful avoidant attachment style. Cause I had this, I had this instinct that fearful avoidant connected with me, uh, because my friend Heidi Preeb, who does amazing work around attachment styles, she has a really brilliant videos on YouTube about it. And, uh, at one point on Twitter, she said, I think Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies is basically the attachment styles. And she I don't remember which ones she said, which ones were, but I think that the, she said that fearful avoidant is connected to the rebel tendency. And that's the one I related to was the rebel tendency. And uh, I, I think, I don't think they're necessarily like carbon copies of each other, but I think that there is a connection there potentially. And at least it made me think like, oh, I should explore fear, fearful avoidant because I have not explored fearful avoidant. So I, I took the time to do that, went down a rabbit hole of her videos and a couple of other brilliant people on YouTube that were expressing what the, um, the different tendencies and healing opportunities and all of this stuff around fearful avoidant. I took a ton of notes and it just opened up my brain into this world, my brain and my heart, frankly, into this world of like, oh, this, this feels like a really core thing. This feels like what I've been searching for, for a very, very long time. And I don't necessarily need the label, but the label helps me to define what I'm experiencing. And by defining what I'm experiencing, I can start to, uh, to truly heal and self-manage, right? Uh, self-manage is the big thing here because I came across the idea of a fearful avoidant crash, which is that fearful avoidance tend to experience a bit of uh oh we've got some sounds outside so hopefully that doesn't pick up too much uh, there's a garbage truck outside actually i'm going to pause for a second making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy but you know what is going to aruba all you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools relaxing white sand beaches and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face you won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. 
Plan your family trip at aruba.com. So if you haven't gone down the rabbit hole of attachment styles, I think for millennials, particularly those born in the 80s, who have some developmental trauma that you're trying to reconcile with, or maybe some trouble with connection and relationships, attachment styles might be something to, worthy of looking into. And something I've noticed too is that the I think those of earlier, the earlier portions of generations, like the um, earlier born boomers, earlier born Gen Xers, earlier born millennials, earlier born um, Gen Z, like I think we have potential traumas that can occur in the midst of, of generational transitions uh, as people in the world are figuring out what the new world looks like and how things are shifting and changing that perhaps there's some holdover from previous intentions, um, maybe, or maybe trying to force like a new way of thinking too quickly or like a panic about ensuring the future of your child. Like, I think that what that's what happened to a lot of kids in the eighties, particularly again, the immigrant relationship is like America is already this idea of the American dream and creating successes for the future. But I think for millennials of that mid eighties ilk, the idea is that, um, baby boomers in general were already struggling a little bit with the vision of the future. Like ever since they were kids, there was, yes, this great prosperity that post-war brought, but it was also a lot of fear of nuclear war and a lot of fear of the future. And, they've had uncertainties of the future of, uh, of, of the system of the government of the status quo. <clears throat> and so as they were entering, uh, midlife and starting to get to this place or, uh, midlife or young adulthood, I, uh, was it? Yeah. I mean, whatever the eighties brought for, uh, yeah, the, yeah. But midlife entering midlife, there's both this, resentment that they're getting older and they're not going to have this youthful and exuberant energy as much anymore. Uh, but also like the, the future isn't about their future anymore. And there's a little bit of resentment about that. It's about their kids and their kids future. And something that was expressed in the show beef is that like the, there was at least some parents have expressed resentment towards their kids because I had to stop living my life and sacrifice my life for you and your future and almost this sense of like, what do I get in return? Right. Eventually it's almost like, um, this idea of I'm raising you so that you can take care of me. You know, that's a narrative I've heard a couple of times and, um, it's really hard to feel like the love that you're getting from your parents is very conditional. Right. And I, I think there's some kids in the mid eighties that have had a struggle with that. And so as the world was changing and as things were starting to become closer to that vision of the future that baby boomers were having when they were kids to where, you know, there's less trust in government and, uh, trying to figure out how to, you know, they were starting to put more kids in religions and trying to ensure that kids got a good education and, uh, this like panic of sorts to get kids through to a better life, uh, that it created this, this pathology. There's that word again, that, um, that's the achievement panic within millennials. 
There's uh, attachment challenges related to parents in terms of trust, in terms of not really being sure that your parents have your best interest in mind, that they're, there's almost like an instinct that they're thinking about themselves more than they're thinking about you. Uh, even though the words are there, the actions don't back that up. And so, you know, and, and the challenge there too is like trying to look at this thing objectively, just seeing it for what it is and not blaming though, like being able to have an awareness and a source of what our challenges are is important, but blaming and pointing fingers is about exporting responsibility or outsourcing responsibility because it's still our responsibility to heal. It's still our responsibility to take our own authority and course correct. It's our responsibility to figure out how to go forward from here. So that's why like the course of this podcast and conversation has been about figuring that out. Like how do I ultimately individuate? How do I figure out like where to go next in my life that is separate from that wounding while also acknowledging that wounding and knowing how that wounding is going to play out. Because even though I acknowledge the fearful avoidant attachment style and this idea that I have these fearful avoidant crashes where I'm, I'm hypervigilant to my environment and people's needs. And I'm so grateful to have a studio space where I can lock my door and I know I won't be bothered because I can actually like think and calm myself down that I need spaces. I need time. I need to figure out ways to like calm my nervous system. And in the effort of doing that, like there, there's no guarantee that this is a thing that's just going to like quote unquote completely heal. You know, it may be a scab that I keep picking at that will bleed a little bit and then I stop picking at it and it'll heal again, right? It might keep being that cycle. <clears throat> or, you know, sometimes you like get an Achilles sprain like I have quite literally and your ability to run is not the same way as it was and it might not heal this the same like it might not be what you ever expected to be like the ideal of what we think our lives are going to be might not ever pan out and yes there's certain something to mourn there there's a sadness there's a grief but it does not mean that possibilities are eliminated it does not mean your life is over it does not mean you don't get to live you get to live by your own terms and by your own means and you know, it might mean a, a greater opportunity and sensitivity to provide a different kind of purpose to life. I mean, I don't deny that even though this isn't one of those podcasts that's like, you know, Conan O'Brien or Joe Rogan level or, or Seth Godin level or something like that, where there are billions of listeners, I still don't doubt that this podcast and sharing my process has had an impact, that there have been people who have, who have listen to this and by proxy of hearing my story has related to it and has figured stuff out and has been able to calm themselves as a result. And I'm acknowledging that that's part of a gift that I can provide a bit of purpose that I can provide for myself and ultimately be able to, um, encourage and inspire individuation in others as well. 
by sharing my process. And like I said earlier, like I like defining processes. <laughs> I like figuring out how to go forward. Molly pointed out something interesting to me recently. She said, like, for some reason, you always seem to know where we are and where we're going. And there's a, a, an archetype, a shepherd archetype that my friend Jonathan pointed out to me that I, because of my own awareness of where I am and where I'm going, that I can help people define that for themselves as well. Because not everyone has that, right? Not everyone has, you know, we're all individual, unique people that perhaps we have shared traits, but our lines of development are all unique. There are, could be shared pathologies. There could be shared generational things. There could be, um, you know, there's other INTPs who maybe have shepherd energy, who are creative subtypes. You know, there may be people who have close resonance with resonances with me and my experience. And that helps them. Uh, but then there are others who very much don't. And I've come across so many people that I've expressed an idea that's obvious to me at this point that they're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. And I need to make sure that sharing my story is still a part of my story. That going forward, I am continuing to heal and I'm continuing to be honest about that healing. That with the fearful avoidant crash, for example, which I'm recognizing is exactly what I thought my sort of manic high and crash was. It's the same feeling. It's that like, it's, it's a hypervigilance burnout, essentially. It's that I've spent too much time being hypervigilant and I, I'm, I, I can't calm myself down, which I think amounts to a couple things. I think it's working too much overusing my executive functioning. It's too much screen time. Uh, literally like not letting my eyeballs rest. It is, uh, panicking too much about the future, trying to think too much about what's coming next and uh, lifestyle changes that are needed in terms of what I'm eating and not getting enough exercise and stuff like that. So it's the result of, of a multitude of things and ultimately creating stress in my body. My, my immune system is re responding to that stress. And then over time, chronic stress creates increased release of cortisol, which basically starts to create inflammation and bloating in the body. And when that bloating happens, you know, inflammation is, uh, there's something related to inflammation and cortisol that that creates this sort of like assumption in the body that we're experiencing famine. It's like preparing the body for, uh, burning a different type of fuel in our body so that it's going to burn slower. And it's basically like kind of preparing us for uh, starvation mode. It's like preparing for a winter kind of thing. And then naturally, because we're assumed that we're just getting fatter because we're eating too much, we end up going on a diet, which only confirms to the body that we're in a famine, that there's no food, that there's nothing to consume. And so it's this vicious sort of paradox that we put ourselves into by getting too much into a stressful state in the first place. Stress, I think it was the World Health Organization that said something around um, <clears throat> stress is the great 
epidemic of the 21st century. And I think that's really what it all comes down to is, is managing stress. Stress related to the things we panic about, the things we think about, the things that we're, um, we're creating uh, within ourselves and how much we are spending time thinking about things that we just don't have any immediate actual connection to. There's no reason to be in bed panicking about the world. You're not experiencing the world right now. You're in bed. You're trying to sleep. So it's about techniques to start to calm the mind, to, you know, to, to let those thoughts go, to let them pass through. And usually it's breathing. Breathing techniques has been helpful for me. Expressing myself, talking. That's why I have this podcast, so I can talk it out and share things. Eating good food, exercising, things like yoga. I need to start working on those things. And anything else that kind of can stir up, you know, panic in our environment or in our relationships. Sometimes it's people we're around. And taking uh, stock in that is important too. There was this... Um, I can't remember the name of it, unfortunately, but there was this documentary that I watched recently that kind of covered all of this, but it mostly looked at how our gene replication responds to environment that, that we assume that our like mental health challenges are about genetics, that we inherited it from our parents, that we're kind of doomed to repeat these cycles. And again, it might not be that we like completely heal, but often our belief that we're broken perpetuates the idea that we're broken. So it's important to take stock in our environment and, and our inner environment includes our thoughts and feelings. So management of those things is important. And I believe personally that Thoughts are not something that comes from within all the time. Like we, we get what we think about from other people. That's why we have these pathologies in the first place, because we absorbed the culture and our parents' responses to culture growing up. Like that's just what we were exposed to. And we're continuing to create panic in our minds because of what we continue to expose ourselves to now. And that's part of what I'm saying around taking personal responsibility is that like, if we're panicked about the future and we're panicked about politics and we're panicked about, uh, you know, what people are saying and doing and stuff, it's because we have access to it all the time. It's because we're constantly looking at it. It's because we're constantly aware of things that are not relevant to us and continuing to create this chemical stress cocktail as if we're in war all the time, as if there's someone knocking at our door at any moment, in any second, demanding something from us, and creating this <clears throat> perceived urgency. That was the thing that stuck out from the documentary, too, was like uh, two major things that are causing us a lot of excess nervous system activation. It's caffeine and perceived urgency. I love that because it's so simple and those are things we can change. Like getting off of caffeine takes like two weeks. You just stop drinking caffeine. This is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be a little weird. And you're going to believe at first that your energy is not going to be there. But 
after a while, you're like, oh, I'm no longer chemically dependent. That's kind of nice. You know, I'm working on that with sugar. I still struggle with that. But, uh, and then the other one that is really needing a lot of healing for me is perceived urgency. That most of the things that we feel like we need to do right this second, we don't need to do right this second. Or feeling like we need to do things that we're not doing right now. Like we're not allowed to rest. We're not allowed to be having fun. You know, like that's nonsense. And that's a, an important reframe that I'm working on right now. That helps me to, that's going to help me try to calm uh, my nervous system. So the big takeaway right now and where I feel like things are going right now for me is that acknowledging this fearful avoidant crash and subsequently what it means is is using techniques to calm my nervous system so calmer environment calmer stories um and beef was not a calm story but <laughs> but a but i got something out of it i got emotional resonance by the end so that was good um but calmer st moments, calmer stories, uh, breathing, you know, getting those chemical needs met, hugs, oxy oxytocin, serotonin, eat some bananas, take a shower, feel the water on your face, get good sleep, try to get to sleep on time, limit screen time. Like, it sounds annoying to have to do all of these things, but the truth is the fact is that if you're experiencing what I'm experiencing of a hyper aware, hyperactive immune system and nervous system, then that's just like what it is. Like acceptance is the first thing, acceptance of your experience. And most of the time we end up perpetuating it, our struggles, because we are caught up in this idea that like it needs to be some other way. And yeah, maybe that's true but it, but it isn't. So it isn't right. So acceptance is like an important part of it, of just like accepting reality as it is, at least as it is right now. It's like my nervous system is easily activated. So I need to pay attention to that. And when it is, and I can't think straight and I can't sleep and I can't work. And I always believe that there's a bear on the other side of my door then I need to work on those beliefs. I need to work on those thoughts. I need to take a breath. I need to not shame myself. I need to not put feelings on top of actual feelings and just uh, eliminate the perceived urgency and, you know, continue to do that. It's not a quick fix. It's a daily practice. And I think that's incredibly important. So I've got other things I wanted to talk about on this podcast episode, but I think, you know, centered around attachment styles, I think is really important because millennials are seeking community and we're having a hard time finding it because I think a lot of us have these attachment challenges. And I, I think some of the attachment challenges may not actually exist for a lot of millennials. It may just be like a part of the culture at this point. And so assessing that too, I think is important. It's like, do I have actual trauma or do I believe I do? Because it's like, what helps me fit in? <laughs> I don't know. That's an interesting question. I don't know if that's true. I'm just, I'm, I'm positing that as a possibility. And, uh, I've been reading the book, 
or I've read the book and I, I've been, I made a bunch of notes on the book, uh, Healing Developmental Trauma, which was written for therapists, but I, it, it covers a couple of different survival strategies. And I resonate with three of them, the trust survival strategy, which was having difficulty trusting your caretakers. Um, there's the, uh, autonomy survival strategy, which is never really having autonomy, uh, and resenting any time that, uh, like not taking autonomy and then resenting with others, take it from you, even though you're giving it away, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, and then there was, uh, one more that had a, um, seductive subtype. I forget what the actual main survival strategy is called, but, um, the seductive subtype resonates a lot with my sex addiction, like being charming to get attention. And, you know, there's relationships there to the sex addiction side of me. There's the trust side has a relationship to overeating, which is something I'm working on with the lifestyle thing. And then the autonomy thing is part of the, the extroverted thinking, getting help and outsourcing and stuff like that. So those are the main areas I feel like I'm really working on right now. But ultimately I think it does start with like the breath work and the focus and, you know, calming the nervous system and, uh, letting go of, of so much unnecessary fear. And I think that's where I'll leave it. So if you've gotten this far, I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being like willing and able to witness my story and my continual growth path and journey and all of this healing stuff. There's lots and lots of episodes on this podcast about that journey. Some things that don't necessarily stand anymore, but like you can follow the process of things that I've been figuring out and then come to these later episodes and see if that still is true. Um, you can follow me at let's go see notes on all the social channels or send me a DM. If you have any questions, I'm certainly willing to talk. And uh, happychemicals.substack.com is where I do some writing, and you can contribute to this project there. Uh, $7 a month is a subscription. And um, I think that's really it. And there's probably one more thing, but I'm not remembering it, so that's totally fine. Uh, I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other, and I'll catch you next time on Happy Chemicals. See ya.